I'm going to jump right into this in the book of Jeremiah, chapter number 42. Jeremiah chapter number 42. If you're visiting with us today, I want to welcome you to Central uh, as we seek to be renewed in this new year. In spite of all that's going on, uh, we're seeking that by the grace and will and power of God to be renewed. We had a rough year last year. All of us did. And this one hasn't started off much better, uh, but we believe that God's grace is sufficient to renew us in the midst of all of that. And if you don't have a church home, I want to invite you to join us as we seek to be renewed this year through the power and the grace of God. Jeremiah chapter 42. Now, normally we have you stand, but today I want you just to remain seated because I need you to follow closely along. I don't normally read a lot of scripture, but I need to today. And I want you to know my heart is very burdened about what I'm going to preach about today. It's something I gave you a heads up on last week. So you had a free shot to miss. You knew what was coming. Okay. And you came anyway. So uh, then uh, you got it coming to you. All right. But uh, I'm very burdened about the message today. I do honestly believe that what we're going to preach about today is what we need to hear. It's what I need to hear. And it's something that I believe we need to allow God to take and work in our life uh, in order for us to respond to the current events, okay? We're all feeling burdened about responding to the current events. They're going on in our world, and I do believe we do need to respond, but we need to know how. And I believe the Word of God is going to give us a wonderful perspective on that today. Jeremiah chapter number 42. I'll give you the background in just a second, but let's keep reading and start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, then all the captains of the forces and Johanan, the son of Koreah, and Jezaniah, the son of Hashaniah, and all the people of the least, even unto the greatest, came near and said unto Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah is the prophet. He's the preacher. Uh, he's the one that they hear from God through. And notice what they ask him. Let we beseech thee our supplication be accepted before thee. And pray for us unto the Lord thy God, even for all this remnant, for we are left but a few of many, and thine eyes do behold us. Now watch what they're praying for. Verse 3, that the Lord thy God may show us the way wherein we may walk and the thing that we may do. I have to commend these people. They're taking the time to find out from God what they should do or how they should react to their circumstances. Skip on down, verse number 6. Watch what they tell him. Here's what they're saying about what he delivers to them. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. That ought to be our resolve today, by the way. Whether it's good or evil, let's obey the voice of the Lord our God. To whom we send thee, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. What they're praying about is whether or not they should leave Jerusalem that has been ransacked. The people have been taken into captivity, and they're trying to pray and find out, should we stay here as just a small remnant of people and be open to the attacks of anybody else who wants to move through, or should we go and be refugees in Egypt? Watch verse 9. And said unto them, Thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, unto whom ye sent me to present your supplication before him, if ye will still abide in this land, then will I build you and not pull you down. And I will plant you and not pluck you up. For I repent me of the evil that I have done unto you. God says, I'm done punishing you. God says, because of your sin, I allowed you to be overrun, and I allowed you to be destroyed. He says, but I'm finished with that. Stay put where you are at. Verse 11, be not afraid of the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Be not afraid of him, saith the Lord, for I am with you to save you and to deliver you into his hand. Here's what he's saying. Don't worry. I know you're just a few. 
I know you're just a remnant, and there's just a few of you left back here. But don't go into Egypt. By the way, when you read the Word of God, Egypt's always a picture of the world and the world system. Be careful running to that as a refugee, okay? God takes care of his people. We don't have to go to the world for help. God's going to look after his people. And so he says, stay put. Now, what did they tell him in verse 6? Whether it be good or whether it be evil, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God. Well, let's look on down right quick. They decided, if you'll look down to chapter 43, that after hearing what Jeremiah had to say, that what they were going to do. Look at verse 1 of chapter 43. And it came to pass that when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking unto all the people, all the words of the Lord their God, for which the Lord their God had sent him to them, even all these words, then spake Azariah, and here's all the guys who had asked him to go to God, watch what they say. Thou speakest falsely. The Lord our God hath not sent thee to say, Go not into Egypt to sojourn there. Look at verse 7. So they came into the land of Egypt, for they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. Thus came they even to Tephasenes, if that's how you say that. Look at verse 10. Now God says, Jeremiah, I want you to say something to them. Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne upon these stones that I have hid, and he shall spread his royal pavilion over them. When he cometh, he shall smite the land of Egypt and deliver such as are for death to death, and such as are for captivity to captivity, and such as for the sword to the sword. Now let's stop there and let's pray, and we're going to unfold this this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for the message that is so very timely preserved here for us today. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, right now we'd settle down into our seats, get comfortable, and open our hearts, Lord, to receive what you have for us today. I believe this is a very critical message for a very critical time. And Lord, I pray we would heed the message that you preserved for us many thousand years ago. Help us to learn from it. Help us, Lord, to learn from their mistakes and not repeat them. I pray that, Lord, during the invitation time, however you may speak up to us or lead us, I pray that, Lord, we would obey, that, Lord, we would hear it. Whether it be good or whether it be evil, we're going to receive the word of God that you've sent us today, and I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I have noticed something very interesting, really an interesting dynamic that has developed in the midst of all that we have been going through, and that is the simple fact, the dynamic of involvement. Uh, over the last year, I've seen a lot of people who are not necessarily political people become politically involved. You know, people who maybe don't care about politics or don't want to hear about politics, people who don't watch the news or read the paper. Because of the enormity of the circumstances we're going through and the issues we're dealing with, they have been forced to take a side. Uh, they have been forced to back out of the corner of pacifism and decide where do I stand on the really dividing issues that we're going through. People that are normally passive to world events, they have become quite passionate about all the things that are going on. And it surprised me about some of, some of you, to be honest with me, some of you folks that are really quiet have been getting fired up lately. Uh, social media allows us to kind of peer into the windows of each other's mind and heart because we put it all out there for everybody to see. And uh, some of you folks who seem quiet are actually pretty feisty, or at least you are on social media. We all get fired up out there on social media. I've noticed some people that don't normally take sides have really been compelled to figure out which side of the causes that we're dealing with in our society they're going to be on. Why? Because the issues we're facing right now 
are really so large that it's not going to allow us to take a pass on them. You know, some things you can allow to take a pass on. Uh, you know, you can take a pass when they vote to decide what color the lines need to be on the highway, you know. They need to be yellow or they need to be pink, you know. If they put that out there on the ballot, you know, that's not something you really have to get politically involved in and march down the highway holding up signs unless you just truly hate the color pink. Uh, I think they ought to be purple and gold, personally. They already got the gold. They just need to be purple. Uh, but, you know, that's not something necessarily that you have to get all involved about. Uh, that's not something you feel compelled. Man, I got to speak up and make my voice heard because because I want the stripes on the highway to be this particular color. But we're dealing with some very large issues lately, and it's really compelled all of us to speak up and to take a side, which, by the way, I'm encouraged about. Uh, most of the time, uh, the voice of truth really sits silently over in the corner of contentment, if you will. Uh, most of the time, those of us who have the truth and know the right way and know the way of truth and right, oftentimes we're sitting over in the corner trying to pacify ourselves and not speaking up. So I am encouraged by the fact uh, that so many people have felt compelled to act upon the circumstances we're living in. I think that's a good thing. But here's the problem this morning. A call to action is a good thing. Just make sure it's the right action. I want you to hear me out. You're going to have to listen to all three points today, okay? There is no cruise control. You get the first one and go to sleep on number two and number three. I need you to stick with me today, all right? You can go to sleep during tonight's message, all right? But I need you to stick with me on all three of these today, and you need to hear what the Word of the Lord has for us today because it is as relevant as a message as I think maybe I have ever preached before. Now, here's what happens. Oftentimes, we feel compelled to action, and we feel stirred up. I need to do something. I need to say something. I, I've got to act, and that's good as long as you act in the proper manner, all right? Because if you're not careful, you'll be stirred up to act the wrong way. I don't know about you, but my flesh is easily stirred. I watch Bambi, and I cry. I don't watch the Hallmark Channel. You know, somebody's going to die of cancer. It's going to happen, all right? Hallmark Channel would go out of business if, if it weren't for folks passing away. I mean, that's why I don't watch the channel, or for that one other reason, but many other reasons, to be honest with you. I get very stirred easily, all right? When I'm watching a football game, it's not going to matter. In the whole scheme of eternity, I get stirred up when I see them call a pass interference that wasn't a pass interference. I get stirred up when people go slow in the fast lane. The Holy Spirit in the side seat next to me, which is my wife, is always tapping on me, honey, honey, we're not in a hurry. Why? I'm getting stirred up. Why? Because they're holding me up and slowing me down. No, I'm getting stirred up. And then all of a sudden, Forrest General, the other day, we were passing by Forrest General. And this guy was holding up everybody. I roared up behind him, trying to let him know I didn't appreciate that very much. My wife says, honey, when you run into him, you're going to feel bad. Not just because you ran into him, but because we're going to have to pay to have a car fixed. You don't want to do that. I says, but this guy needs to know he's holding all of those people up. And because I'm the guy behind him, everybody behind me is depending upon me to get him told. I'm the leader of the pack. <laughs> Amen? See what I did? I let him have it. And what made me mad was I could see his cell phone up there. That's what made me mad. He was endangering everybody around us. So I had, to, I had to do my civic duty, all right, and speak up uh, and honk this guy off the road. What happened? I got stirred up to act, but I don't know that I was acting in the way Christ would have me act. And my wife always says, you think that's what the Lord would have you to do? Go ahead. <laughs> don't the Bible say something about a woman's not supposed to speak or something like that? 
Usually she's right. She's a better preacher than I am. But here's what happens. We get stirred up and we act in the wrong way. We get stirred up to go in the wrong direction. Look, Satan is a master of misdirection. You ever seen that in the football game? Man, you're watching up there, and all of a sudden the whole offensive line shifts to the left, starts blocking to the left, and the lead blockers pull around this side, and they're going to the left, and all the defense shifts to the left. And here comes the reverse around to the right side. What happened? They bit on the misdirection. He got everybody going in the wrong way, and here goes the guy, and he runs for an open touchdown or a flea flicker and throws it into the end zone for a touchdown. What happened? He got him with misdirection. He got him to bite and go the wrong way and react the wrong way, and it cost them seven points, a la the saints, unfortunately, seems like every year. If you're not careful, the devil's going to use the circumstances we're living in, and you're going to feel compelled to act. i got to do something, and he's going to get you going in the wrong direction. And it's going to be counterproductive to what your father wanted you to do. And instead, watch this, instead of you living to the glory of God, fulfilling the will of God, you have been distracted and going the wrong direction, and now you're helping the other uh, team score points. Now, I'm going to show this to you from the Word of God today, okay? You can argue with me, but I'm right. Hear me out. Years ago, I was out west. went to the Buffalo Bill Cody Museum, a really neat historical center they have there in Cody, Wyoming. And there's a painting on the wall, and it, it really depicts what's called a buffalo jump. And what would happen is one of the Indians would take a buffalo cape, and he would put it over his body, and he would go out way in front of this large herd of buffalo. All of a sudden, the Indians would surround them and begin herding them a little bit and begin moving them a little bit, and all of a sudden, they would charge after the buffalo, and the buffalo begin to get nervous and panic and start to react. And then here's what would happen. The one who was dressed up like the buffalo and had the cape on him would begin running toward the edge of a cliff. The other buffalo would look at that guy and say, okay, we need to follow that guy. They would start following that guy, but what they didn't know is that was not a buffalo, that was a guy, and he had a hiding place behind the rock, and he went to the edge of the rock, and the buffalo jumped off of the cliff and were killed. What happened? Man, they got surrounded by the Indians that were there and the bowls and arrows that were there and the spears that were there, and they felt compelled to act, and they did act. But they died. Why? They didn't have a problem with action. They had a problem with direction. Look, there's nothing wrong with being compelled to act. But be, for, be sure you act in the right direction or it just might be futile. Now, folks, God wants us to know how to act this morning. We go through these circumstances that we're going through and we all feel compelled to act. That's okay. You're stirred up, you're fired up, and you want to do something. Hey, we got to do something for America, and you feel compelled to act. And you know what we feel compelled to do? The primary action we feel compelled to do is resist. Man, i got to fight back. i got to do something. I've got to resist. Look, don't turn me off. If you turn you, listen, if you turn me off this morning, you're going to miss out on something God has for you. We feel compelled. i got to stand up. i got to show them who's boss. i got to stop this. And next thing you know, we're talking revolution in America. Hear me out. I don't, believe, I don't believe this morning that that's always a bad idea. But understand there's a time and there's a place for resistance. I don't believe that's what God's calling us to today. I'm going to show it to you in Scripture. Our founding fathers put in our Declaration of Independence this. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations lead to despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such a government and to provide new guards for the future security. 
So what are they saying? There is a time and a place for it, but I don't believe we're at the time or the place to it. I don't believe the call to action right now is for resistance. I'm going to show you why you got to listen to the whole message today. I'm not advocating pacifism or apathy or ignoring the problem, but what I want to get us to do this morning is to rethink our reaction. You may be getting it all wrong. The devil and our circumstances may be surrounding us like the Indians around the buffalo, and all of a sudden he's trying to get us to move, and we feel compelled to move, but we're moving in the wrong direction that ultimately is going to be counterproductive for which God left us here. So here's the question I'm going to ask you, and we're going to answer this morning in the message. Should these circumstances compel us to resist, or should we allow God to use the adversity we're going through to call us to repent? Is this about resistance? Is God using all of what's going on around us to stir up his people to resistance? Or could it be this morning that Almighty God is allowing what's happening around us to stir us to repentance? Be careful this morning. Don't go the wrong direction. This morning we're going to answer the question, resistance or repentance. And here's what we're going to look at. Finding God's meaning in our misery. Does God have a meaning in this misery? All of a sudden, all of this is going on. Is there some meaning to it, or is it just an odd coincidence that we're going through all of this at the same time? Now, I believe we're at a critical crossroads this morning that we can go to Jeremiah chapter number 42 and learn from. Before we make our move today, we need to know how we got here. So let's look at that first off this morning. Jeremiah is speaking to a group of people that's in a dire situation. Jeremiah has preached... And oh, he has preached repentance, get right with God, turn from your sin, tear down the false altars. He has preached and preached and preached repentance, but they have not listened. So God allows them to come and be overthrown. And now most of their people have been taken into captivity or have been killed. There's a small remnant that's left there that says, preacher, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? We're not a strong enough force to hold off any army should they come back in. So Jeremiah goes to God and asks them what they're supposed to do. Jeremiah comes back and tells them what they're supposed to do. And do you think they've learned their lesson? No. God says, don't go to Egypt. God says, stay put. You don't have to go into Egypt. I can take care of you right here. Don't go running to the world. Stay right here in your place. And what did he say? I will build you up, verse number 10. Abide in this land. I will plant. He says, I will not pluck you up again. But then they rejected him. They went to Egypt. And guess what God did? God sent the enemy to Egypt. God sent the enemy to Egypt. You know, you can't run from God. Well, man, if we just run from where we're at and go over here, then maybe all of this will be over. No, you can't run from God. Why? Because the whole purpose of what they were going through was repentance. And yet they're still unrepentant. We sum up real quickly. We're going to get into this. Stick with me today, all right? We sum up, if you'll look over to chapter number 44 and verse number 5, you're going to see what happened to them why they're going through what they're going through. But they hearkened not, nor inclined their ear to turn from their wickedness. Notice the Bible says they hearkened not. They're going through what they're going through, not because they haven't heard, because they haven't hearkened. There's a big difference in hearing the word of God and hearkening to the word of God. Look down real quickly, verse 11. Therefore, saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for evil and to cut off all Judah. You know what God is saying? God is saying, I've rejected you. 
God is saying, I have rejected you. The first thing I want you to see this morning before we answer this question, what God is showing us here is, number one, the way to rejection. The way to rejection. When you look at these people that have already been ransacked and taken into captivity, and now you see them fleeing from God to Egypt, and now you see them being tormented again, what you're seeing is the results of what happens when you reject God. All right? God says, you've rejected me, so I've rejected you. I want you to understand something very important today. There is never rejection by God without there first being rejection of God. All right? I'm going to say it again. Be sure you hear that. There's never a rejection by God. God's not going to reject you and push you away until you first reject God. You see, God gives you the first offer of refusal. You ever heard that in real estate or maybe you're buying something? Several years ago, we were buying nine acres for our church in Louisiana. We were growing. A lot of our people wanted us to build a school. I wasn't ready for it yet, but I said, at least we'll buy the property. It was right next to us on the highway. And uh, I went out there and talked to the man who had it. He says, I feel like I should just give it to you. I'm like, hey, I feel like you ought to do that too. (laughs) You know? And he says, but I have some bills I need to pay. I need to pay off my house. I have some credit card debt. And so standing out there in the grass beside the church, I asked this man, I said, well, how much do you owe in your house? The property was worth about a quarter of a million dollars. I said, how much do you owe in your house? He says, 50000 I said, okay. How much do you owe in your credit cards? He says, 23000 I said, is that it? He says, yep. I said, I'll offer you $75,000 for this property. I even gave him 2000 bonus. He goes, deal. Deal. It's neat how God does that, how God just takes care of you when he tells you to do something. And he says, look, here's the only catch. If you ever decide to sell it, I want the right of first refusal. That means if I ever got ready to sell it, I had to go to him first and let him say no first, all right? I had to give him the opportunity to buy it first before I offer it to anybody else. And then once he said no, then I could offer it to somebody else. Can I tell you, God always gives his people and even those that are not yet his people the right of first refusal. God is not going to refuse you. God is not going to reject you until after you reject him. And the reason we see a people that is here, I mean, left in shambles, it's because not because God rejected them first, they rejected God. What did he say in verse number 11? Or, or, yeah, you look down, uh, yeah, verse number 11 of chapter 44, he says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for evil and to cut off all Judah. Folks, understand this. They said no first. Now, God is saying no. God is saying no to them in Jerusalem. God is saying no to them in Egypt. Why? Because they said no to God. Give you an example of that this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 23. The Bible is talking about King Saul. The Bible says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Listen to this. Because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. You say, God was just mean to Saul. You know how our kids are sometimes? Our kids think we're just being mean, don't they? I mean, man, we're grounding them, making them eat their vegetables, making them brush their teeth and go to bed, and they just think we're being mean. And we think, how could they think that? The same way that we think that about our father. God's just being mean to us. No, God wasn't being mean to Saul. Saul had rejected God through his disobedience and rebellion. Do you know when you rebel, that's, listen, rejecting him? And by the way, you can't reject his word without rejecting him. You can't say, well, I love the Lord and reject his word. No, they're the same thing. We got this weird idea in the world today that you can love God and me and Jesus are like this. I told you before on our honeymoon, saw a young man in the Memphis airport wearing a T-shirt that says, Jesus is my homeboy. Didn't look like somebody who was that 
tight with the Lord, to be honest with you. We have this idea that we can be close to God and reject his word. You can't do that. When you reject his word, you're rejecting him. And when you reject him, guess what? Then he rejects you. We see this is happening to Israel. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. But listen close. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. I I believe this with all of my heart. America is where we are today. Because God has rejected us. Because we rejected him. That's why we're at this place. And we don't like how it feels We don't like what we're going through, but we're going through what we're going through because we rejected him and because he's a just God. You know, God has gone as far as a just God can go. You know, we sweep things under the rug, don't we? It's just a little white lie. You know, I'm just a little bit unfaithful. It's okay. It's no big deal. But God is faithful and God is just. And his grace, after a while, runs out, and God is going to go as far as a just God can go. But sooner or later, the Bible says, the wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that forget God. It has to be all. Why? Because God's no respecter of persons. So number one, I want to show you the way to rejection is simply by rejecting God. You reject him, he's going to reject you. John 12, verse 32, the Bible says, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Aren't you glad it says all men? There's nobody in this room or on planet earth now, past, present, or future, that God at one point did not draw them to him, to knock on their heart's door, to the Holy Spirit of God tug and say, I want you to be saved, I want you to be saved. The Bible goes on to say in John chapter 6 that those that come to him, he will in no wise cast out. So when he draws you and you come to him, he's not going to reject you. I mean, aren't you glad? Look, some of us folks today, we might have been on the rejection line if he rejected folks. Look at you and say, look at me and say, man, you got a ball spot up there. Your ears are kind of big. You talk too fast and you preach too long. There was an easy amen right there. Come on, I'm helping you out. I'm trying to help some of you folks learn how to amen. I just gave you an easy one. Oh, I don't know if you're going to make it. I might have to reject. No, the Bible says that who comes to him, those that he draws, when we come to him, he's not going to cast us out. He's not going to reject us. And yet, why does the Bible say in Matthew 7 that many are going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me? Wait a minute. Does it sound right? He says that he would draw all men unto him. And he said, if you come to him, he's not going to cast you out. So why does he say there's going to be some that he says, depart from me? He's going to reject them because they rejected him. There's not a soul in hell this morning that's not there who did not first reject an invitation to heaven. They were all given the opportunity. And when you reject his way, you're rejecting him. I cannot convince people of that sometimes. You can't reject God in his way. They're not separate. They're one and the same. Listen, I don't have anything against folks who are living out of the will of God personally. And they say, well, look, you know, why can I live the way that I want to? Because that's not his way. All right? You can't have things your way and still have God. Why? Because him and his way are one. Right? Why does God say, I want marriage to be between a man and a woman? Because that's the way he wants it. All right? And if you go any other way than the way he wants it, you're rejecting him. All right? That's why Sodom and Gomorrah got blasted off the map. Because they rejected his way, they rejected him. And we think we can have things in America our own way and still have God. You can't. When you reject his way, you reject him. In America, we've rejected his way. Therefore, we've rejected him. And we're not going to have what we want until we accept him. August 2005, Katrina hit. I think we all felt the effects of that. 
I was uh, newlywed three weeks, and uh, it hit, and uh, that was an exciting adventure, and it's been an adventure ever since, hasn't it? I told my wife, one day things will calm down and we'll get down to normal. I quit telling her that because now it's just a lie. Things are never going to settle down. Things are never going to get back to normal. In 2005, when Katrina hit, I remember reading stories about how the National Guard went down into New Orleans because of the topography of New Orleans. Basically, it's a bowl. And they built a city in a bowl. Not sure why they did that. Doesn't seem like a good idea, but they did it anyway. All right? We're Americans, right? Americans. We can. We're going to do it. Hey, we can build a city in a hole. Watch. We'll do it. And they, sure enough, they did it. And one of the National Guardsmen by the name of uh, Lane McConnell was ordered to take his Boeing helicopter, one of the, the double propeller ones, down into New Orleans before the media had ever got there. When he got down there, he had not seen any pictures or images on the news because nobody got there yet to report, and he was flabbergasted by all of the houses that were underwater and rooftops that were barely sitting above. He was given the order, go in and rescue as many people as you can off those rooftop, rooftops. And, and journey after journey and mission after mission, he went, rescued, went and rescued. They would lower his crew member down in a basket, bring people back up, fill up the helicopter, and go back and drop them off and go back and get some more. But he tells the story about he went to several houses and lowered his crew member down to lift the people up. The crew member came back empty-handed. And he says, well, where are they? He says, they don't want to come. He says, they're going to stay with their house and their possessions, their belongings, and they want to protect those things, and they want us just to go get them some food and bring it back to them. He says, tell them, we're not here running supplies. We're here to rescue. If they want rescue, get in that basket, get back up to the helicopter, and we'll take you to safety. But we're not coming to bring back food. That's not our mission. I thought about that this morning. Boy, it hit me. I don't know that you can have a, a more clear picture of what God did for you and I. Oh, we were engulfed by the storm of sin. The water was rising. Hope was about to be lost. And here comes our God, and he lowers down his son to get us out of there, to get us to safety. And he says, hop in the basket. Here's hope. Here's help. I've sent help. You're going to die. You're going to drown. You're going to lose everything. Hop in the basket. And we say, no. Can you just bring me something to make me comfortable where I'm at? And God says, no, that's not my mission. God wasn't there to make them comfortable in our sin. God was there to get us out of it. And how often does that basket come back up to the helicopter empty because we rejected him? And then all of a sudden, the helicopter has to move on. And the people sit on the roof and say, well, how intolerant is that? Moving on to somebody else? He has rejected us. No, 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 no. You rejected him first. He's moving on because you said no first. God gives us the right of first refusal. And the reason Israel's struggling and America's struggling is because we said no to God. And now God's saying no to us. Now, folks, if we don't get this this morning, we're going to be in a whole world of trouble for years on end if the Lord doesn't return. We've got to get back to his way. A while back, I was at the hospital, and there's a Coke machine by every elevator at Force General. And snack machines, you know, I just always need a good snack from time to time. And come around the corner, and there's a lady standing there trying to get something and feed a dollar into the machine. She put her dollar in. <laughs> comes out. Now, folks, once I set my mind that I'm hungry, I'm hungry. The clock is ticking. The timer's going. i got to get something to eat. I'm getting weak at the knees. I haven't eaten in 20 minutes. She puts her dollar in. <laughs> And I looked over there, and I couldn't see George Washington's head. She had it upside down. 
And right there on the little machine, it's a little picture of George Washington's head. They make that for dumb people like me. Match the head. You know, it's like that little shape shifter, you know, match the circle to the circle and the star to the star, you know. Match George Washington, George Washington, zoop. And she goes, zoop, 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 zoop. You know what the machine was doing? It was rejecting her. No, no. I'm standing there. I almost gave her a dollar. You know, she's standing there on the side of the machine. <laughs> Pull out an iron. <laughs> it may have been counterfeit. I don't know. The machine kept spitting it out, spitting it out. <laughs> I'm serious. That almost got me as bad as the slow people in the fast lane. I'm like, ma'am, there's one bag of pork skins left. Number one, if you get that, you're in trouble. But I need to get that. And yet she just stood there. Why? She wasn't doing it the right way, and it kept rejecting her. Do you know why so many of us have trouble in life and why America's having trouble? We keep trying it the wrong way, and God pushes it back out. We say, God, this is how we want to worship you. God says, no, spirit and truth, that's the way. Not emotional and fun, spiritual and truth. And God says, no. God, this is what we call a home today in America. God says, no, that's not my way. God says, this is how we feel and what we want. And this is the Bible that we like. God says, no, that's not my way. And when you reject his way, you've rejected him. The way to rejection this morning is just simply rejecting God. And finally, God's going to reject you. And here's what's sad. I'm going to give you the second thing. We've been so busy feeling dejected about our circumstances to realize we've been rejected because of our sin. <laughs> We're sitting around and, man, the economy and politics and all of this. And we just feel dejected about our circumstances. God says, I don't want you to feel dejected. I want you to feel rejected. That's what we are today. We've been rejected by God because we've, re we've rejected him. And I believe our distress is a result of going the wrong way. Now, here's what's important. Look at chapter 44, verse 2. It's 12.04 for those of you that are afraid to look at your watch. If I'm going to keep you long, I'm at least going to give you updates on the time. All right, stick with me. Chapter 44, verse 2. I'm not going to preach till 1230, but it would be worth it if we got the message today. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have seen all the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem. Now, you've got to see this. Here's where the message starts answering the question of resistance or repentance. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Ye have seen all the evil that I have brought. Look at verse 6. Wherefore my fury and mine anger was poured forth and was kindled in the streets of Judah. Verse 10. They are not humbled even unto this day, neither have they feared nor walked in my law nor in my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. Now, this is important to notice. God was the one who brought all of the calamity to pass. What did he say? He said, it was I. You have seen all the evil that I have brought upon Jerusalem. Do you know what it would have been easy to do? It would have been easy to make Nebuchadnezzar public enemy number one. That low-down dog comes in our town wrecks our city, destroys our homes, takes our children. Oh, that's who we're going to get after. Old Nebuchadnezzar. What a low-down, dirty dog he is. You see, you know what we're going to do? 
We're going to resist old Nebuchadnezzar. That's what we're going to do. We're going to rise up and we're going to resist Nebuchadnezzar, this wicked leader that God had allowed to be there. Can I tell you, the Bible says that God set him up. Man, it's quiet. God set him up. God left that wicked man. Matter of fact, God goes on to call him. Look at verse number 10 of chapter 43. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, and will set his throne upon these stones. Who put Nebuchadnezzar there? It was God. God put him there. And you can fight Nebuchadnezzar all you want, but it's not Nebuchadnezzar you're fighting, you're fighting God. Because God's the one who put him there, and God put him there to push his people to repent. God says, you're not getting the message when the preacher preaches it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to light a fire under you. I'm going to tighten the screws down just a little bit through a man named Nebuchadnezzar. And God set him up there. And you can fight Nebuchadnezzar all you want, but you're fighting God. Because God's the one who put him there to get his people back where they belong. So number two, I want you to see this, the waste of resistance. The first thing we see this morning is the way to rejection. But notice the waste in resistance. As much as they wanted to fight Nebuchadnezzar, the truth, they would just be fighting God. They could not have stopped Nebuchadnezzar if they wanted to. I don't think to speak personally. The election did not go the way I wanted it to go. I'm not for anybody who believes taking the life of the unborn and the innocent. I'm not for anybody who doesn't stand with Israel. I'm not for anybody that doesn't support traditional marriage. Why? Because that's what God says I should believe. I don't get to pick what I believe. God says I get to pick. He picks what I believe. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price, right? Not being political, being scriptural. Man, you say, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rise up, and we're going to resist, and we're going to fight. We're going to scratch. You're going to claw. You're wasting your time. Why? Because oftentimes we see in Scripture God raises up adversaries to get his people to repent. It's not resistance. It's repentance. The sad thing is so many of us are just riled up, man, and we're stirred up, man, and we got to do something, and we want to resist when God says, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. I want you to think about this, all right? Here comes Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar sets up his administration and his kingdom. And they're like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to fix this problem. Voter drives. That's how we're going to get Nebuchadnezzar out of here. Voter drives. We're going to set up voter registration at McDonald's. I don't guess they had McDonald's back then. Maybe falafels or something like that, you know. Or We're going to set up there at the camel washes, and we're going to set them up all of these. We're going to set up voter drives, and we're going to get enough votes, and we're going to overthrow them. You never will do it that way. Why? It's not a political problem. It's a spiritual problem, all right? A political solution is a poor substitute for a spiritual answer, and I believe this morning that's what we're looking to do. Listen to what Romans 13 says. I'm going to give you as much scripture as I can. And if you don't like it, you don't have to come back. Nobody's made to come back here, but you're going to at least hear the truth one time. Romans 13, 1, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. Listen close. The powers that be are ordained of God. You mean even bad guys? Absolutely. A lot of times we learn more through the bad guys than we do the good guys. I think if the guy got elected, and a lot of us wanted to get elected, we probably would have relaxed and took it easy like we have been doing for the last 100 years in this country. 
God says, I got to stir my people up to action. And so God allows a little bit of trouble come, a little persecution come. Can I tell you, as I outlined my message, I was careful about how I'm saying what I'm saying because I'm worried it's being recorded. I'm going to go to jail. I didn't kill a deer yet this year. At least I have to kill one before I go to jail. It's coming, folks. Have you seen the billboards out there? Report people with the capital city crime and all of that. Look, it's coming. Hey, report that preacher you hear preaching against something we call intolerant. It's coming. Why? Because God sets them up. What does he say in verse 10, chapter 43? I will send and take Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. My servant will set his throne upon these stones. Daniel 2.20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. God put them there. Do you know if God wanted a certain person to be in office right now, that certain person would be in office, and they are. Don't you think God can make an election go the way he wants it to go? So then you're sitting back, okay? Then if this is of God, why? Bingo. Bingo, bingo, bingo. God says, that's what I've been wanting you to ask all along. Oh, we got to rise up. we got to do something. Let's get the militias together and all of that. I'm not picking on you, but I want you to understand. If resistance is what you think is going to fix this, you've missed the point. God brought Nebuchadnezzar there to get his people to repent. It's about repentance, not resistance. And God says, if that's what you think the answer is, then you missed the whole question to begin with. Do you know, if you'll keep asking why, a lot of times you'll answer the problem. Why did this happen? Why did this election go this way? Why did this guy in the office? Why, why, why? Eventually, you'll find out the answer is repentance. Don't miss the meaning of our misery. Don't miss it. God's trying to turn us back to him. There was a guy who walked in an old country store one day, and as he walked in the door, he saw a sign on the door, beware of dog. And uh, look, I take those seriously. I really do. I don't like being bit. I've only been bit one time out doing the Lord's work. And this lady just sat there and let that dog bite me on the ankle. I don't want to kick nobody's dog in front of them. But I'm going to be honest with you. If you don't get him off of me, I'm going to kick your dog. I had a Boston Terrier one time run laps around the floor to the back of the couch I was sitting on at this house. We were visiting. And every time he passed by, a little bit of slobber would come around on my neck. Oh. A few minutes later, you heard this. Dog needs to slow down a little bit. Stick your foot out. Slow him down just a little bit. <laughs> I got another story, but I don't have time to tell you. This guy's walking in this store, and it says, beware of dogs. So he's walking in, looking around. He looks on the floor, and there's this old basset hound sitting there. It looks like it's 150 years old. Old eyes hanging down. Tongue hanging out of his mouth. He's not any teeth to hold him in. Ears hanging there. And he looks up at the guy at the counter, and he says, man, is that the dog that we should be aware of? And the guy says, oh, yeah. And the guy just dies laughing. He says, I don't think that, guy, that dog could fend off the attack from two strong fleas. All just laying there. The guy says, look, he's not mean. He said, I put that sign up there because people walked in, they didn't see, and they tripped over and fell and got hurt. So that's why the sign is there that says, beware of dog. It's not because he's mean. It's because he don't move, and you trip over him, and you hurt yourself. He said, that's why the sign is there. You misunderstood and oh, America today, we are tripping over resistance when the whole point of the sign is repentance. 
Now, folks, look, there's never been a perfect president. Our last president was not perfect. He did things I disagree with and things the Word of God disagrees with. But when you have an administration coming into office that's very much against the things this book stands for, you have to wonder, how did that happen? Remember Lamentations Wednesday night? What does the word Lamentations mean? Eka, how? God says, I want you to know how I put them there because you didn't get the message. And the message is not about resistance. The message is about repentance. If you think the signs of our times that we're living in right now are pointing to voter turnout, you have missed the point. Second Chronicles 7 you knew we were going here. I'll read it for you for the sake of time. You think we're going to go to verse 14? We're not. Verse 13 is the one we need to go to. Second Chronicles 7, 13, if I shut up heaven. Now, wait a minute. Who's shutting up heaven? He says, I, talking about God. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence, like a virus, among my people. Wait a minute. You mean God, the God of heaven? The loving God that Joel Osteen says will give you whatever you want if you just send him 1995. That God is going to send a pestilence. I'm just telling you what it says. If I shut up heaven, there be no rain. If I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, what is he saying? He says, sometimes I let this stuff happen for a reason. You need to ask why. I, I just see us. I really do. I see us back in this day. All of a sudden, here come this, this plague of locusts devouring our land. And you know what we come up with? You know what we need to do? Pesticides. That's it. Man, pesticides. And I think God's up there thinking, you missed it. Just went right over your head. And then God has to tighten the screws just a little bit more. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, on Jerusalem and besieged it. Listen to this. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God says, evil, wicked king that's going to drive my people to repentance, here, here's their country. We look today and we look at how many of those that are wicked and, and defy the word of God have our country in your hand. You're thinking, how did it get there? Voter turnout? No. Are you kidding? No, it was God put it there. Why? Because his people aren't repenting. Matthew Henry put it this way. I could not help but put this in my notes this morning because it sums it up. The city is at length taken by storm. For how could it hold out when God himself fought against it? Get all the guns you want. Get as many people as you want. And you can resist all you want. But you're fighting against God. Because God allows this to come upon us. Not to stir us up to resistance. God's stirring us up to repentance. God says you're missing the point. Do you remember when Israel went to fight against Ai? Mighty army Israel, more men, more power, superior, well-trained, went to fight little old podunk 2A team, AI. And old Israel comes back with their tail tucked between their legs, defeated. How? How? How could this mighty army be defeated by this no-name nobody? It was because the Bible says there was sin in the camp. And when they went to war, God did not go with them. And God allowed them to be overthrown. I'll sum it up with this, and I'll give you the last point. Acts chapter number 5, Peter's preaching. He's been threatened, told him not to preach. They're getting ready to rough him up a little bit. Here steps in a wise man by the name of Gamaliel. Gamaliel says, hey, 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 listen, listen. Here's one way to know exactly what's going on. Here's what he says in Acts chapter 5. 
And now I say unto you, refrain from these men. See, they were stirred up. They're stirred up, man. They're, they're fixing to get after them. And let them alone. For if this counsel of this work be of men, it will come to naught. But please listen to this. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it. Lest happily you be found even to fight against God. If it be of God, you can't overthrow it. Resist all you want. Get the armies together, do all you want. If it's of God, you'll not overthrow it. And I'm just going to tell you, as your pastor this morning, I believe all that what we're going through in America today is of God. You can't murder a million babies in their mother's womb and expect God to overlook that. You can't rebrand marriage to what you want, with you want, the way you want it, and expect God to honor that. Folks, you can't get out there and celebrate what God calls an abomination and expect God to turn a blind eye to that. No, 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 no. God says, okay, if you're not going to hear the message that I sent, then you're going to feel it. And oh, they're feeling it now. And it was a waste of time to resist it. Finally, I want you to notice resistance was futile. It's not a political problem. It was a spiritual problem. Spiritual problems have to have spiritual solutions. We read 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13. It says, if I bring the pestilence and if I bring the, all of these things, if I hold the rain back, if I, then he goes to verse 14. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Notice the message now to them is repentance. You say, well, what do we do? We need to act. We got to do something. We got to do something. We're losing our country. I want you to rethink your reaction a little bit. Rethink your reaction today. The point was not political resistance. It was spiritual repentance, and that's number three. Notice the work of repentance. The work of repentance. Verse number eight of chapter 44, he says, you provoke me unto wrath. But what does he want them to do? He wants them to turn back. Verse 10 says, they are not humbled. Neither have they feared, nor walked in my way, nor in my statutes that I set before you and before your fathers. What does he want? He wants them to turn to him. I want you to understand this today. Before we close, I don't think we can afford to get this wrong again. I don't know that we have one more chance, but we can't afford to get this wrong. If we think the answer is resistance, there is no hope for America because you're resisting God who put all of this in place to get his people back where they need to be. The work that we need to be involved in today is the work of repentance. Don't miss this today. God's meaning behind our misery is to bring us to repentance. God says, I want you to repent. 714 says, if my people shall turn from their wicked ways. What is that? It's repentance. What do, listen, what have we learned in the last year? We're almost a solid year in this fog that we've been living in, this cloud of darkness over our country. Can we get the message this morning that God's not stirring us up to political resistance, but spiritual repentance? God says, get right. So long we come to church and we sit here in our chairs and our hearts are dirty, our homes are dirty. We're not the dads we need to be, the moms we need to be. We're not the Christians we need to be, and we're okay with that. And God says, I sent a preacher, and I've sent preachers, and I've given you my word, but you haven't heard that. So you're fixing to feel it, and boy, do we feel it. What is God saying? God's saying, just get right. Second Chronicles 39, the Bible says, for the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. Aren't you glad? 
and will not turn away his face from you if ye return unto him. What is God doing? God's trying to turn us. I don't have any horses. I like to watch horses, but I don't have any. I don't need one either because I killed Miss Evelyn's fish. I probably would kill a horse too. Forget to feed them and get them their coats and stuff like that, you know. So I don't have one, but I like to watch them. And I got to ride one a while back. A preacher friend of mine let me ride one, and I hadn't rode one, but I really wanted to. My wife got me a lever action 30-30. We liked a rifleman, you know, kind of ride through there. And got on this horse, and I think he purposely gave me a mean one. Or death. I'm not sure because he wasn't listening to me. We're going down the hill. We're riding down through there. I think the horse's name was Angel or Angela. Angela, I think the horse's name. And he says, just, just call her name. Pull back on the rein a little bit. Say, Angela. And so I'm riding down through there. And I said, Angela. I think he made me like an idiot, to be honest with you. I don't think that was the horse's name either. Well, Angela didn't want to turn. So I started pulling on that rein a little bit now. I'm like, well, now slow down. I just like a slow little gate, you know. I'm not an experienced rider that can just, you know, go like Miss Kirky can. I have to, I got to figure all this out. And going down the hill, and I started going a little bit faster. I'm like, whoa, Angela, you know, pulling back on that rein. Before it was all said and done, I had dropped the left side of the rein. I just had the right side of the rein, and we're pulling. I'm like, whoa, Angela. Man, you can see that horse's head, man, it's just turned sideways. And I'm sure it hurt, but all she had to do was turn, and I'd quit it. And she's sitting there with her head running that way. I'm like, you're not going to beat me. And I look at myself. How often does God, that Holy Spirit, try to turn me? He said, God, this doesn't feel good. He said, I'm trying to turn you. I'm trying to turn you. Quit resisting. You think the answer is resistance? No, it's repentance. I'm trying to get you to turn. And yet we're like, oh, no, that hurts. God, it hurts. God says, of course it hurts. It's supposed to hurt. I love you, and I don't want you to go in the direction you're going, and I'm going to do what it takes to get you back where you need to go. That's the work of repentance. Real quickly, it's not about getting our guns. It's about getting back to God. It's sad when we have more disgust for a candidate than we do sin. We have more disgust for a candidate than we do sin. We're okay with all the bars that line the streets in Hattiesburg and the clubs. We're okay with all the families that are living without God. We're okay with all of those things, but oh, don't let this guy be the opposite side of the aisle than me. We're more disgusted with candidates than we are with sin. And God says that's why you're going through what you're going through. We're more focused on teaching our kids about shooting guns than standing for God. We've missed the point. We're more ready to get even than we are to get right. And all the while, we're fighting against God. We're looking at a political candidate up here. It's kind of like a little puppet. It's a political candidate. But the hand in that political candidate is God. God says, I set him up. God says, I brought him about to get you to get back to me. He said, I sent preachers. I sent messages. I gave you my word, and you didn't listen. And so God says, now you're going to go through what you're going through. Last verse, Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2 is very interesting. You read Joel 2, and there's been a plague come through the land. Locusts and caterpillars destroyed the land that was there. Joel chapter 2 and verse 13, the Bible says, Draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh unto you. I'm sorry, James, James chapter 4 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh unto you. Turn to Joel, I want you to see that. Let's just look at it for ourselves. The Bible says in James, cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Watch this unfold in Joel. Look at verse 13. 
We're going to be done. After this plague is moved through, you look at chapter 1, the Bible talks about the canker worm, the locust, and all that they've eaten. Chapter 2, verse 13, God says, here's your answer, your remedy. Rend your heart, not your garments. Turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness, and it repenteth him of the evil. Notice he says, rend your heart, not your garments. A sign of distress and grief in the day this was written was to rend your garments. I'm so mad, I'm going to rend my garments. It showed great disgust and anger, but it accomplished nothing. God says, don't do something that doesn't matter. That, that's like resistance. He says, what I want you to do is to rend your heart. I'm trying to break your heart. I'm trying to turn you back to me. And if you'll turn back to me, you'll find that I'm gracious. And you'll find out that I'm merciful. Folks, this morning, I think we're seeing this play out in our country. We see the way of rejection. We've rejected God's way, therefore we've rejected him. And God says it's a waste of time to resist. Why? Because you're resisting me. What I want you to do is to do the work of repentance. Can I tell you something? Simply put this morning, God says it's time to get right. Whatever you're holding back, whatever you're sitting on, Whatever you have not confessed before God, you don't have to come to me. I'm not your priest. But you got to get it right with God. And the Bible says we confess our sin. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get the point. Find the meaning of our misery this morning or else I hate to tell you there's more to come. So our heads bowed, eyes closed. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet. I know the hour's late, but I believe it's late in more ways than one. The hour has long passed for us to get right with God. It's time to get right with God. It's time to get right with our neighbor. It's time to get right with our spouse. It's time to get right with our children. It's time to get right with our parents. It's time to get right with God. Find the meaning of this misery that we're going through. Don't waste your time resisting because you're resisting God. Do the work of repentance. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, this morning for a clear picture in your word of what happens when we reject your way. I don't think we realize that when we say no to your way, we're saying no to you. And we reject you, then you reject us. Lord, I believe you've rejected us as a nation. And Father, we're stirred to action and we want to do something to save our country. But Father, help us to see it's not the waste of resistance, Father. It's the work of repentance. All of this was brought about and allowed by you. You could have started or stopped whatever you wanted. And you've allowed the events that's taken place in our country for the last year to take place, I believe, to get your people back to repentance. And you said if you bring the pestilence, and oh, we're in a pestilence right now. You said, Father, if you hold back the rain, and oh, it seems like you've held back the blessings of rain upon our life, Lord, I pray that we'll call out to you. You said if your people, which are called by your name, shall humble themselves, help us humble ourselves even now, and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways. Lord, that you'd hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. We pray for that today. Help us get right today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Heads are bowed.